From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Hey, it's Crash Connell along with Mary Danielson, and we welcome our FM radio listeners online at q90fm.com slash listen. It is Thursday, August 10th, and I want to remind you, if you're on YouTube, go to Q90FM Radio and subscribe. We're going to try to get to 500 subscribers as soon as possible, and check out the video editions of the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. And one of our favorite guests is on this morning here. Indeed. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Julaine Appling is back with us, always informative and we really need to hear what she has to say. Even though this podcast reaches far beyond Wisconsin, there is a concerted effort across the nation and the world, really, to come against truth, especially in the fight for the family, regarding abortion, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to open with a scripture passage this morning, as always, and we're going to pray, and then we will get right to Julaine. Psalm 34, 1 to 7 this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Pray with me this morning. Uh, Lord, we seek to boast of nothing but you and who we are in you. Help us to count all things lost for the excellency of knowing you and serving you. Help us to seek you in all things at all times uh, so that we can say that you delivered us from our fears just as the psalmist experienced. Thank you that you never, ever changed while the world around us is swirling and is just... uh, in madness. We lift up Jelaine today and thank you for her testimony, Lord, um, and, and uh, her reliance on you in all things. We ask a hand of protection around her, her family, her ministry, uh, for many ministry opportunities around the state, around the country. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, Julaine Appling is our guest this morning. She is president of Wisconsin Family Council, Wisconsin Family Action. During the nearly 10 years that she spent in the classroom in Wisconsin, she taught on the junior high, high school, and college levels. Her primary teaching areas have been history, government, English. Uh, In addition, uh, she was administrator of a private school. In October of 97, she came to work at the Wisconsin Family Council as director of office operations, and she served in that capacity until uh, late 1998 when she was asked to become the executive director of the WFC. So we've got a couple of websites here, uh, wifamilycouncil.org and wifamilyaction.org. Julaine, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, good morning, Mary. Good to be with you. Love that passage of scripture that you read. Yeah, I do too. That's one of my favorites. Such such hope and encouragement there. Tell us the difference, just briefly, for anyone who might be new listening, who who isn't familiar. Tell us the difference between those two websites, and what will wis- listeners find when they go to Wisconsin Family Council. 
Well, if the listeners heard my little chuckle there, um, I'll explain that because the <laughs> difference is really related to the IRS. <laughs> ah. Um, the IRS doesn't like lobbying done on money that comes into an organization where the giver gets a, where the giver finds that that money is tax deductible. Oh. So. Years ago, when we determined that we needed to be able to lobby more mm-hmm. than what we are allowed to do through Wisconsin Family Council, we started Wisconsin Family Action. So, for instance, Wisconsin Family Council is our educational organization. Uh, we work with our churches. We run our uh, incredible Lead Wisconsin Teen Worldview um, and Leadership Camp that we just finished up. That's run through Wisconsin Family Council. Um, we do um, our church ambassador network through Wisconsin Family Council, where pastors are connected with directly with legislators for redemptive uh, purposes, okay. um, and and that kind of thing. All of that is done through Wisconsin Family Council, and people who who invest in Wisconsin Family Council can take a tax. That's a tax deductible gift. Wisconsin Family Action is our advocacy. We, we educate through there, but we are allowed to do much more advocacy. So all our lobbying is done through Wisconsin Family Action. We have a full-time director of legisl- uh, a legislative and policy director now. And for instance, our election work, most of our direct, ele- all of our direct election work where we say, go vote for someone. Okay. Or we say, don't vote for someone. All of that is done through Wisconsin Family Action. Okay. And the IRS says, Oh my. You can't possibly have a tax deduction for that kind of giving. So, mm-hmm. so people who support Wisconsin Family Action do not, um, get a tax deductible, um, opportunity because of the IRS. Okay. But, uh, we, we use both of them. It's all the same people, Mary. I mean, we just, uh, the IRS allows us to bill back and forth between the two for time. So it's all the same people. I work for both organizations. Uh, everybody basically does, except okay. for a couple of people. So same board members and everything. Same right. people, just different different names. Okay, sounds good. I mean, there's just so much there and a lot of great resources, and I really encourage people to go to those websites. I want to just open out of the gate here with the Wisconsin Supreme Court because, you know, it's really a cautionary tale. Uh, since the conclusion of the election in the spring, I think people stick it in their short-term memory category, and then they kind of get on with their lives. They don't pay a lot of attention. But um, our recently elected, elected liberal Supreme Court Justice, Janet Protasewicz, that's what, right? Was sworn in. Correct. And this flips the state's uh, high court from conservative to liberal. And it also means that liberals now control two out of the three branches of our state government. And um, she uh, actually uh, was, she blatantly violated sacred, sacred judicial ethics rules uh, our justice system relies on to be fair and impartial by telling how people how she would rule on things. So uh, can you tell us, Jelaine, what is going on with the Supreme Court? What are some of the things that have have changed since then in case people, like I said, have put that in their short-term memory and they have not followed up on it. Sure. And and I think uh, one of the comments you just made relative to this, Mary, is very important. Yes, this is happening in Wisconsin. But what we're learning here is applicable everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and in Wisconsin, we elect every level of judge. Okay, from municipal judges right on through our Supreme Court justices. Other states do that by appointment. Others do that by retention um, votes and, and elections and things like that. But every state has a Supreme Court. Of course, we have the U.S. Supreme Court. And we understand that the people who serve on those on those courts 
are incredibly important. And if you are in a state that where you elect your Supreme Court justices, for instance, I, I beg you to remember that elections have very real consequences. Mm-hmm. And so what happened here is we've had a, a wonderful situation in Wisconsin. And, and by the way, Mary, you might remember in April when we held that election, and we had a solid conservative running against this solid li- liberal. Um, the eyes of the nation were upon us. Mm-hmm. And, and why? It's not just about the Supreme Court decision and that election. It was about 2024 and the election. Because oh. we are a targeted state for the presidential election going into next year. So, um, mm-hmm. but up until th- that point, we had a, a, a relatively conservative Supreme Court. We say it was a, f- a seven member court, four, three, um, ideologically conservative. However, we kind of have a rogue on there by the name of Brian Hagedorn, mm-hmm. who got elected saying he was conservative, but a new report came out just recently saying that over the, uh, I think it's been four years that he's been on the court now. Um, he voted with the liberals 85% of the time. So I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's really accurate to say, he's, right. you know, solid conservative. Right. But the minute that J- Janet Protosewicz beat Dan Kelly in April, um, we, we were set up for the ideological shift to 4-3 a liberal. And that happened, um, last Wednesday. Janet Protasewicz went from Judge Janet Protasewicz to Justice Print Janet Protasewicz when she was sworn in uh, to be part of our state Supreme Court. And that very day, that very day, the court fired without cause a six-year um, state director of courts, hmm. uh, Judge Randy Koshnick, I, he, actually, I know, I know Randy Koshnick. I've known him for years. He was a, a judge here in Jefferson County where I live. He rose to the level of chief judge, uh, judge of Jefferson County. A solid guy, really good at his job. He wasn't serving as a judge when he accepted the, the position to be the director of state courts, which is a significant position because they, you know, they, they take care of lots of details for all the court system in Wisconsin didn't have any cause just Mm -hmm. fired him. And the day before um, the most, the more recently elected um, justice Karofsky, Jill Karofsky was elected two years ago. I think it was, she wrote him and said, you're going to be fired tomorrow. So you better be ready. (laughs) I mean, this is unprecedented. So the next thing we hear is that um, there is a lawsuit filed last Friday this was last Wednesday she was sworn in. By Friday, there was a lawsuit pushed through directly to the Supreme Court saying that our state legislative maps are not right and need to be challenged. Now, why is that significant? Because Janet Protasewicz did exactly what you said, and she set a standard that everybody in the country better be watching out for. She was allowed with impunity to announce basically her position, hidden kind of, under a very, very thin veil mm-hmm. <laughs> behind her values, right? Remember, she talked right. about, well, these are my values. She said, she said multiple times, the sta- everyone knows the state legislative maps are rigged and are unfair. <laughs> wow. Now, now in, in times past, people would have really been, uh, a, a candidate for a judicial position would have really been called sh- up short for that. Nobody really did. I mean, opponents did. They tried to say, look, you can't do that. But, but there's been, t- to this, to date anyway, I don't see any formal complaint that's had any teeth in it that's resulted in her being, have, even having her hand slapped. Mm-hmm. So what's that going to say to judges running for high court all over this country? Right. 
oh, run that way. Tell everybody what you think about abortion. Tell everybody what you think about the legislative maps. So so that lawsuit was what we call a direct petition to the Supreme Court. They bypassed the, the circuit court, bypassed the appellate court, and went straight to the state, mm-hmm. uh, straight to the Supreme Court. And they're saying that the assembly and Senate maps here in Wisconsin are, are need to be undone how they currently were accepted by the previous court mm-hmm. back in 2022, uh, in which we, all of our candidates ran under last year, remember? Yes. So, um, so that, that's out there. And then on Monday, another lawsuit dealing with that issue is in the pipeline. Now, the Supreme Court has to accept them. But also what happened in this is, um, you know, we have a lawsuit against our pre-row abortion ban, right? Right. right. Judge, yes. Ca- Judge, uh, Attorney General Call. Yep. So, um, last month, the Dane County Court judge who is handling that case said that the case would continue because she believes that law refers to feticide, not abortion. Well, I'm going to tell you the definition of feticide is abortion. Yeah. But oh, well, oh, yeah. but why quibble over such things? No right. Kidding. I mean, come on. Well, and so they, any go, go ahead. Well, and then they're saying that uh, the new liberal court could legalize abortion up until birth. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's what I was saying. Attorney General Call just this week. Uh, filed a motion with the Dane County Court saying, hey, speed this up, expedite your decision, get off dead center and move it because, and he didn't say this, but what he was saying was we want it to go to the Supreme Court sooner than, than, um, it's at the speed at which it's traveling now. So hurry up, make your decision. We'll get it appealed up to the Supreme Court and, and we'll get a decision from the now liberal Supreme Court. Yes, of course. And and what will happen is I almost guarantee you they will find they will not only overturn that law. I think they'll find a right to abortion in our state constitution. It's non-existent, mm-hmm. but they're going to find it. Wow. Well, and then talk about voter ID laws, ballot harvesting. There's already a lawsuit uh, challenging uh, these laws too. Of course, Wisconsin yep. is you know blue as can be. Uh, and also another uh, thing that might happen. Uh, strike down Act 10, giving unions control over yeah. public schools again. Yeah. Uh, school choice expansion. Um, well, I don't even think school choice expansion. Um, I think that's a generous way to talk about yeah. it, Mary. I yeah. think that the whole program could be in jeopardy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not trying to put words in the liberals' minds right now, but <laughs> I give them any ideas. But but let's talk about this abortion thing for just a minute, because mm-hmm. something happened in Ohio okay. that is extremely significant and tied to Exactly what we're talking about here with our Supreme Court. Um, Tuesday, the people of Ohio went to the polls to vote on a constitutional amendment proposal that would have changed the standard for passing an amendment to their state constitution from 50%, a simple majority, to 60%. And the reason they that the conservatives wanted it at 60% is because they know this November there is going to be a ballot measure put before the Ohio voters to legalize abortion there. Oh, well. And, and see, so, so all these things work together. Um, <laughs> and that, and that, and that, uh, vote went, went south. I mean, they, they, the conservatives lost that vote big time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you, what, what they're talking about. In fact, I read a couple of articles and my counterpart in Ohio was very involved in trying to get that, that amendment resolution passed. But what they're talking about is that, um, abortion is going to be still 
used as one of the main issues going into the 2024 election. Mm-hmm. And what words do they use? This is how they this is how they won in Wisconsin in this Supreme Court seat in April. Abortion is a right. It's a reproductive freedom. Mm-hmm. And so there you, there we are and we have a court that where Janet Protasewicz bringing the, you know, tipping the balance there said, oh, I believe in the women should have a right to choose, and that it's it's a freedom of reproductive issue. Mm. And she said that how many times during her campaign? Right. Yeah. So yeah. So pay attention, America, because Wisconsin is uh, is setting a, setting a a new standard, if you will. It's a pretty low standard, in my opinion, yeah, but it's very, probably a new judicial standard. Very low standard. And a couple of other things that they're anticipating uh, with her in office is to give Governor Evers unchecked authority to issue executive orders. The court could uphold any executive order he issues, even if it blatantly violates the Wisconsin Constitution. And doesn't that sound a little bit like the COVID situation where Wisconsinites <laughs> were horrified by Evers' quote-unquote leadership during that particular season of time? Um, you know, that's, that's just, I can't believe he actually got in again. But another would be limit availability of concealed carry permit holders to exercise their Second Amendment right. I'm not surprised by that. Uh, the court would most likely limit the rights vetted concealed carry permit holders have to carry their weapon, uh, or even strike down the law in its entirety. So these are just a few things. Are there any other things that you're expecting? Cause you really have your, uh, finger on the pulse of a lot of this. Is there anything else that Wisconsinites should be wary of before we uh, go on to the next thing here? Well, I think we need to make sure that we're looking at religious freedom, Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are going to be opportunities for uh, this court to do all kinds of mayhem. Yeah. Uh, you've read off a list a, a list of many, and uh, you add in religious freedom to that. Yes. Um, we're in for a ride, and I, I suggest a couple of things to the to our people here in Wisconsin specifically. Number one, if you are a Christian, please join us in praying that God will rule and overrule in the hearts and minds mm-hmm. of these justices and that evil will be checked. Um, not because we did, we deserve for evil to be checked. My goodness, we've been shaking our fists in the face of a holy God for, for decades and, and now, but, um, perhaps in, in his wrath, he will remember mercy. That's what we, and yeah. secondly, that, um, you buckle up. Mm-hmm. And be prepared and and talk to your children as appropriate about some of the ch- changes that may be forthcoming as they come and as they may impact you and your family. Mm-hmm. So be wise and, and uh, prudent and proactive on some of these things. Yes, absolutely. Because even if it isn't actually an election cycle, things are always building and happening behind the scenes so that by the time we get there, maybe we shouldn't be surprised by any of this. Um, but you know, uh, there's always something going on, right? So don't put it in the short term memory. Uh, keep, keep your eyes open. Um, uh, Julian, I want to go switch gears here a little bit and talk about, um, the things that are happening in the, in the public square as far as drag shows and that sort of thing. I mean, it's really transforming our culture. I, I just can't believe some of the things I'm seeing. Uh, these things were at night under the cover of darkness. These things were in bars and nightclubs. And now here we are with public square and obscenity issues that, I certainly didn't see coming. Can we talk? Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how in the world can Christians be a light in the midst of this in-your-face kind of uh, war? It's actually part of the war on women too. How? What? What can we do, Julian? Well, I think one of the things is, um, first of all, we 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 don't dignify them by, and I want to be careful with this, Mary. Mm-hmm. I, they are a degradation. They are debauched. They are 
they are grooming children. I think there's no doubt about it. I think that we need to we need to speak up and speak out against them wherever they are. Um, there is there the problem with this whole thing with the drag queen stuff is how the First Amendment gets interpreted, right? Mm. Freedom of speech, mm-hmm. and, and so we have gone so far down the path of giving freedom of speech so much breadth that what you and I call obscene, the law says, oh, no, 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 it's not obscene because parts aren't hanging out, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and it's not, it's not to the extreme. You and I and, and countless others like us say, no, no, what they're doing is sexual in nature. It is suggestive. It is raunchy and it is inappropriate in particular for children. So I think one of the things we have to do is we really have to work with our local government to make sure that we have statutes or ordinances in place that don't offend the first amendment, but that define obscenity in a way that at least protects children and they that they are cannot these shows whether they're in public schools and in Watertown or not Watertown excuse me in uh, Madison last year they showed up in a public school for Pete's sake mm-hmm. you know and, um, or they're in a library or they're in a park or they're at a um, farmer's market that they are not allowed to have these in places where children can have ready and easy access right. and certainly cannot be billed as quote family friendly. There's nothing family friendly about them. There's nothing about these that are appropriate for children. It gives children all the wrong impressions about human sexuality, about reality, about um, women. Mm-hmm. And I'll put a, I, I'll just tell you, Mary, one of the things that concerns me in all of this is why are Christian women not speaking out more saying, I am offended mm-hmm. by the the representation of womanhood yeah by these by these men yeah. i don't know i know about you mary but i don't know women that look like that no. act <laughs> like that dress like that that's think right. like that that's right i am i am absolutely offended by it yeah. and uh we're supposed to be living in an age right where y- you don't get to do that kind of thing right. in public you don't get to make aren't they in my opinion they're making fun of me mm-hmm. absolutely they're saying oh this is what yeah. women, no no that's a caricature of women yeah that should not be appropriate. And so I think we need to work with with local um, officials to make sure that we are doing the best we can. I, and, and quite honestly, Mary, I think that we're going to have to get find some attorneys all across this country who are willing to stand up and say, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. We have we have to get something done here, whether it's at the state level. Yeah. I think it's going to be easier to do and probably more e- effective at the local level because the local level of government is where they're encroaching upon our people and our communities. And so if we can do that, uh, and we as individuals, by the way, I hope everybody across the nations that l- nation that's listening to this incredible program that, that Q90 puts on with you, Mary, Stand Up for the Truth, understands the level of government that most impacts our lives is local government. Yeah, yep. And the level of government where we have the most impact is local government. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need we need to do that. But I also think pastors have got to get involved. I think pastors have to say, hey, if these these people are coming to our community, I'm going to at least talk about it. I'm going to at least warn parents. I'm going to talk, tell parents how to help their children deal with this. That's one of the things that drives me crazy is that we aren't getting help for parents from churches 
about how to deal with all of this. Right. Um, the transgender thing, the, the drag queen thing, the, you know, the homosexuality and all the other letters in that acronym of LGBTQ plus that are, go- that are going to keep adding, um, you know, fuel to the fire on mm-hmm. this. Um, don't you think that, that youth pastors and senior pastors and all staff ought to be equipped to have parent meetings to say, Hey, we need to talk about this from a biblical mm. standpoint so you can protect your family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great idea. Um, you're listening to Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, this is Mary Danielson. I'm talking to Jelaine Appling, Wisconsin Family Council. And um, we just have a few minutes before the break, and we can certainly take this up afterwards as well. But just to let people know, there is a legislation um, in the states, on the state level, uh, 18 states at the moment, are um, attempting to legislate and to make these public gatherings, in other words, where children are present, illegal. And some of the criteria that these states have um, said they want, the reasoning they want to do this, they want to ban or censor performances. Some want um, them banned or censored in public places where children are present. Other legislation includes uh, felony charges or possible sex offender status for parents who allow their children to view these performances or even be in a building. I'm not so sure um, why that would be helpful necessarily, but they need to be in private venues only. Other states are saying uh, only within a 1,000 feet of schools, parks, or walking trails or prohibiting anyone under 19 from attending. Uh, they're going to allow, some of the legislation allows parents to sue event organizers. Now, you know, if you hit them in the pocketbook, right, because they're going to have to have insurance now, which is going to be very costly to keep from being sued for these. Uh, and some states are leaning on obscenity laws that they already have on the books to do this. Um, I wish more than 18 states were considering it, Julaine. <laughs> well, yeah, um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have all, all red states. Right. <clears throat> because... Uh, look, we could consider that here, but the governor would veto it. And oh, absolutely. would just yeah. laugh at it. Yeah. So I think what you have is these red states. But one thing I want to mention, Mary, let's talk about something positive that can be done as well. Okay, yeah. Last Saturday, my church, Calvary Baptist Church in Watertown, hosted a family story time in our public library. We had about 50 young people there and about 50 to 75 parents there. Hmm. They had really good stories read by good people who were very talented in, in doing that. They had a little puppet-type show. They gave outdoor prizes. They had a craft and all of that right there in the community room. And that sends a powerful message to a community. When you have something hosted like that where lots and lots of people show up in your public library, to say to you, the public in general, hey, it doesn't have to be all of the, the debauchery that comes with these things. There are positive things we can do to um, quietly counter the message that comes from uh, these kinds of events. Yeah. But yes, I, look, if we, can, if we can find legislation that will withstand con- constitutional scrutiny, mm-hmm. then we need to do it. Yeah, yeah. I know there's an event uh, in June, Madison Librarians versus the Far Right is basically how they're framing this. Um, they had 300 attendees in June. Uh, the location was kept secret until a week before, and only if you sent an RSVP would you find out where this was at. And they said it was to keep the organizers safe at, and that people will show up with guns and blah, blah, blah. You know how that goes. But I, you know, my thinking is these Libraries, yes, they do stand for intellectual freedom, but they're funded by municipalities and counties and our taxes. Doesn't that have something? I mean, isn't that enter in here somewhere? Shouldn't we have something to say about it if our taxes are paying for this? 
Well, I think so. And I think every person who's listening to this where you have a drag queen show show up in your parks or your library or anything like that need to find out who's paying for that. Who's yes. paying for all the extra security for the for the rent? You know, who's who's paying for that? You might be surprised. Does that make a community and the taxpayers who are funding the community? Because please remember, people, government at any level has no money unless we the people give it to them. Not a dime. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so does that make a, the, the, me as a taxpayer a silent partner yeah. in, in these events if the, if the event organizers don't have to pay, but the community does? Uh, yeah. Lots of things to look into here. A lot of things to look into. And I guess I'm surprised I've never heard that brought up um, concerning these things being in public places uh, because of our because most people don't know how they're paid for. Oh, I suppose. I guess it never occurred to me they weren't paid by municipalities and cities. There are no private public libraries. I mean, that's oxymoronic anyway. But, uh, yes, they are, for the most part, all paid for by our taxes, as are public schools. And there's a segue, uh, Jelaine, because I'd love to talk about um, a new school year coming up. You know, we got a lot of kiddos going to be filing through the doors of academia, and I use that term loosely, uh, coming up very soon here. And uh, maybe we can discuss what to expect in the public schools going forward. Again, my name is Mary Danielson. You're listening to Stand Up For The Truth. And my guest is Jelaine Appling. And we will be back shortly with more with her. Always a great hour with Jelaine. And if you check out the website, standupforthetruth.com, click on the uh, menu tab for upcoming. You see Paul Sharp's going to be coming up soon. Brent Henderson on Monday, John Haller, Trish Burton, and many more. That's the upcoming tab at Stand Up For The Truth. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson and I'm speaking with Julaine Appling of Wisconsin Family Council and we're so glad to have her back. I want to backtrack before we get to education because the schools are reopening soon. Some have already reopened. Uh, we were talking about the war on women just briefly and, and an article here. I just want to bring this up. Jelaine, ask you what you think of this. The global fertility industry seeks to erase women from procreation, one manufactured egg at a time. As scientists ramp up their fantasies about fabricated female gametes, concerns about technology outpacing our humanity should be high. And it goes on to say, the campaign to erase women has officially escalated to leaving them out of the sacred act of reproduction. For years, researchers, celebrities, and OBGYNs have touted making babies outside of the bedroom as a novelty attraction available for anyone willing to pay a lot of money. Millions of test tube babies and a million more frozen embryos later, the global fertility industry has found a new way to create life without a key component, and that would be women. The Economist ran a series of articles in Technology Quarterly this month advocating for the expansion of assisted reproduction reproductive technology to in vitro gametogenesis, an experimental procedure that involves reprogramming adult male stem cells to become eggs. How does this not fail women utterly? Uh, Jelaine, have you heard about this? I have not heard any of those specifics, Mary, but I will tell you, on one level, I am devastated, and on another level, I am not surprised Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Look, um... This is about human beings with our depravity and our finiteness thinking we are God. Yeah. And this is about attacking God's creative order, his creative design 
that he pronounced very good and gave mankind a direct um, directive, if you will, be fruitful and multiply. In the opening chapters of Genesis, which I, I am one of those who think, I have come to believe gen, the opening chapters of Genesis, at least Genesis 1 through 11, are so fundamental mm-hmm. for Christians to understand and be able to grasp the worldview implications that are contained in those chapters. God put, God designed marriage and family. And when he did that, and when I say family, he, he put his stamp of approval on the process of reproduction. That's where he said, the two shall become one flesh and uh, all kinds of implications. We Science has had for, for probably all the years, I shouldn't say all the years, because there was a time when we, science really had a strong Christian component. Now, it was probably hundreds of years ago that we uh, you know, rejected that. But I have seen through my lifetime that science works off this this um, axiom, I'll call it an axiom. And it goes like this. If we can do something, we have a moral imperative to do it. Mm. Regardless of the moral and ethical implications of what they, quote, can do. And as a result of that, what you read in that article, Mary, said, we need to be careful about this because we don't have an ethical framework around this. That's right. And I would argue there is no ethical framework that should support that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we already know that we are now creating designer babies. You know, um, people are choosing the characteristics that they want based on, on what they know about the, the sperm donor, donor. And now whether it's a egg from a real woman or one of these artificially produced, um, opportunities, I'll call it that. Um, they're able to to do this. That is not God's design. What I don't know, and I am sure that um, there's no theologian out there that would know for sure, but I'll just throw this out. How much longer do we really think God's going to put up with this? <laughs> yes. Seriously. Yes. You know? Now, I, I am so glad because I have personally been the recipient of this. I'm so glad God is patient mm-hmm. and that he's not willing that any should perish. And his patience is way, way, way better than mine, for sure. Because if I'd have been God, this had been stopped a long time ago. But mm-hmm. God is saying, no, I'm not willing that they should perish. I'm going to give them an opportunity to come to the knowledge of the truth and not spend eternity in a Christless hell. Yeah. Okay, so I think the science here is um, way, way, way beyond the bounds of ethical science. Right. And, you, you know, so... God said clearly, it's a binary world. By the way, did you read Richard Dawkins? Hmm. Did you hear Richard Dawkins' statement about that? No. So not. Richard Dawkins, right? Yeah. Noted atheist, evolutionist, the whole bit. He said, in a, and it was not very long ago, and it's out everywhere on the internet. He said, look, it's a binary world. It's male and female. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we are, we are shaking our fist and with these kinds of experimentation and, you know, scientific endeavors in the face of the creator who made us distinctly male and female, XX and XY, and gave the woman the ability to produce those eggs 
and then for those eggs to be fertilized with that male sperm. And at the moment of that fertilization for new life, bearing the image of God to be conceived. So, so question, and for the theologians out there, if this, what, what Mary just read actually becomes available in any kind of significant form and that, and that human life is created literally in a petri dish or a test tube. I'm assuming it still bears the image of God. Mm. <laughs> These are huge implications. Yes, yes, absolutely. Huge implications. Yes. And, and sci- this is what happens when you let science dictate everything. Right. You know, it, it, it runs off the rails, Mary. Right. They do it because they can, which is not a good reason. And at what point are we no longer made in God's image? Well, then God has to judge. And, you know, oh. ramping up to judgment is what's going on. Um, I, I found that article just shocking, you know. Sci-fi, Mary. It, yeah, yeah. And they don't test anything. We did a, we did a podcast on Tuesday with Patrick Wood about AI. <clears throat> and, and even with social media, you have some of these uh, young men who have, have um, invented these platforms and told you one thing. They said, well, this is so you can connect with family and friends and you can. No, what it was was to, to basically quantify and qualify our information and to, to steal our data and to create ads and, and to sell us things. And, and if you watch um, some of them talk about it now, the fact that they never considered any ethical considerations, is it too late? And that's what we talked about Tuesday. You know, the, the horse is gone, the barn door is closed, <laughs> and at what point now, AI is is screaming out of control. It's self-replicating. We're past that point. And a lot of it is because, well, I guess we didn't think about any ethical considerations or philosophical <laughs> or whatever, right? No. Oh. Well, I'm glad you brought up AI. Carl Kirby was at our team camp, oh. our Worldview, and he did our Worldview um, presentations Great. this year in July. And I asked him to do one in AI, and he said, "Hey, Mr. Lane, I, that that I haven't done that yet." But he put one together, <laughs> and he's getting ready to, to take it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and he said he said exactly what you said, and he had all kinds of his wonderful videos that were showing these Great. things. And you're right, Mary. It's the horses left the barn, the barn door shut, and we are catching up. And this is because science says whatever we can do, we must do. We have mm-hmm. a moral imperative to do what we can do. Um, you know. Don't worry about the ethical framework. Don't worry about the morality of the thing. Don't, and, and, and as a result of that, we as Christians have to be on guard. I'm at the point right now where I'm telling people, you get a print copy of the word of God, get multiple copies of it that you know are an accurate uh, version of scripture and you keep it and you memorize it and study it. And, and so that you know when, when a false version of the scripture shows up online and you're told it's true. Right. You know the truth versus the false, right? Because being able to discern truth is going to become extremely difficult. Yes, right now. Yes, are we talking to real people? Or are we talking to made-up people? That's right. And the whole idea behind WorldCoin is to determine. You know, they scan your iris to determine if you're a real human because they won't give you any WorldCoin or or universal basic income unless they know you're a person. So all of this, you know, we have to do this because of this. It is so. So insidious. It's just unbelievable. And we have Carl Kirby coming up on Stand Up for the Truth in September. So I'm excited for that. Wow. Yes, these implications are uh, way above my pay grade, and yet we have to discuss these things, (laughs) right? I want to switch. Well, they're scary. Yeah. And and, and part part of the Christian response to these things, Mary, is it's scary. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and pretend like it's not there. Right. (laughs) 
Yeah. We can't do that. No, we absolutely cannot do that. We need to be engaged in all these topics. As, as difficult as it is to constantly stay upon, uh, up on everything, we still have to do that. Um, anyway, wow. Um, Stand Up for the Truth, Julaine Appling, lively discussion this morning. I want to switch gears a little bit, Julaine, and talk about public education, especially in Wisconsin. It's back to school time, and we have 830,000 young people will be filling the halls of academia very soon if they haven't already. And and actually, I looked at some statistics. Uh, there are total public schools in Wisconsin is 2,190, and then it breaks down from there. Um, administrators, aides, teachers, etc., comes to 110,000 people. Stu- school funding, total state aids is six billion, but total, and this is the funding from 2018 and 2019, is 12.25 billion. Jelaine, they're throwing an awful lot of money at something that really isn't even education. We had reading, writing, and arithmetic. The three R's, which, you know, for education, there is, you know, it starts with an A. I'm sorry, arithmetic starts with an A. But nevertheless, it's not what it used to be, right? And all that money and all those children, what could possibly go wrong, Jelaine? Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. Um, so, so you're right, Mary. Look, um, I want to talk about a statistic that I hope people understand because I think it's very instructive. And I don't think Wisconsin is the exception. I think we're the rule here. Okay. Okay. On any given day in Wisconsin, any, and I'm talking post COVID, pre COVID, I don't care. Mm-hmm. On any given day, 85 to 88% of school age children are in our public schools. Wow. Now, Oof. that number ticked up maybe a percent or two mm-hmm. after COVID. Wow. But, but what I want, everyone to consider is that means there are a lot of Christians who have their children in the public schools. Right. Because we have, we have more children that are, than we are counting for that are in Christian families for homeschooling and private school. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I, I say that because I want people to understand, first of all, I want Christians that have their children in those schools to be aware of what is happening in the school. Don't put your kid on the bus or walk them to school or drive them to school and and pretend like when they enter those schools doors, your job's done, they're taken care of, you don't need to worry about it. That is one of the most dangerous approaches I can imagine. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I want I want people to understand that we still have an obligation of some sort to try to stop some of what's happening in those schools. Now, what do I mean by that? I'll just tell you right up front. I am not one who says I would ever sacrifice my child to a public school. Mm -hmm. But I believe we need Christian school board members. I think that there is a place for certain people as believers to go into those schools as teachers, as paraprofessionals, as support staff, as administrators, as counselors. Um, district, dis- even district superintendents. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a mission field, and we need to consider it a mission field. And the people who are in there and those who are, might be preparing to go into those public schools need to be prepared for what they're going to face yeah. because they're going to be faced challenges directly to their faith. How many teachers right now here in Wisconsin and around the country are being told, If student A comes to you and says, I want to use a different pronoun from what my biological gender would say you should use, 
you use it. If I want to change my name, I expect you to use the name I want. And I'm, I, I want special privileges for, I want to, if I'm a boy mm-hmm. and I think I'm a girl, I want to go to the, to the girls restroom and play on the girls sports. And, and, and teachers and coaches and administrators and counselors are all being confronted with this. So when I say it's a mission field, I don't, I'm not sending out a clarion call for everybody that is a Christian thinking about going into education to go there. Um, but I do think that it is the right place for some people who have incredible opportunities because they are in there. Okay. So they can be a little bit of a a touchstone of reality, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to tell you, Mary, it is getting costly for Christians to serve in those schools. Hmm. Very costly. Um, Some of them are being threatened with their jobs because they won't capitulate and do uh, these types of things I just enumerated. Hmm. So look, the kids go to those schools today and from the pre-K and, and, and uh, we're in Wisconsin. I get that. But I guarantee you it's everywhere, everywhere. And I don't care if you're in a rural community. Don't give me that. Don't give me that, mm-hmm. that these things aren't happening. They are. Yeah, they are. Oh, yeah. The, the, from kindergarten or pre-K on, they are being introduced to concepts about um, biology, about human sexuality that are contrary. They're contrary to God's word for sure. And what is what is truth? Truth is an accurate depiction of reality. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what truth is. Mm-hmm. And these kids are being confronted from the tiny ages on to not truth. They're being told, don't believe what your eyes see. No, no, no. We're telling you. Okay. Wow. So that's all the way through. You know, they're, they're getting the critical race theory. They're getting the, the, the diversity and, um, uh, equal equity and inclusion. They're getting all that. They're getting a false version of America's history. My goodness. Yeah. You know, and it would, by the way, I hope everybody understands this. When you rewrite a nation's history, you have, you have destroyed the foundation. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then you have a generation that doesn't know it right. and doesn't have an appreciation for it. Well, and the statistics um, say that only 12% of our kids are in schools and only 2% are homeschooled. Uh, I guess I thought maybe that was climbing a little bit more. But parents, you know, they have a responsibility to protect and guide and support their kids' education, and, but they also have a right to interact um, within that community, hopefully a positive impact. Um, what what keeps parents from actually being involved in school-sponsored events? What what is it a time thing? Or are they fearful of what they might find? But once you've committed your children to that form of education, you really can't disengage. I mean, you really, really cannot regardless, right? Well, personally, you know, I've, I've spent a number of years in the classroom in private schools and I was Christian school administrator. I don't care what school your child goes to. You as a parent are still responsible for the education of your yeah, child. Absolutely. Okay. That's, yeah. that's God's plan. That's mm-hmm. not our plan. That's God's plan. So you can choose an educational partner, but if that partner fails, you're not off the hook. Okay, so you can never abdicate your responsibility. So uh, for the education and upbringing of your children, they're God's gift to you for that stewardship. Mm -hmm. So if they if parents choose to send their children to a public school, I think they even need to be on even higher alert, more engaged, more Mm -hmm. involved. And, and, you know, unfortunately, too many of these public schools have made it difficult for parents to know what's going on. Look, we have three court cases in Wisconsin. It's three for sure, and it might be four, but three court cases in Wisconsin going on right now, Eau Claire, Kettle Moraine, and uh, Madison, because 
the administration has put in place a policy that basically said to all of the school staff and, and faculty, pers- all school personnel, hey, if a kid comes to school and wants to, to be a different gender from what he or she is biologically, you don't get to tell the parents. In other words, you can even lie to the parents. That's what the, that's what the, um, Madison policy basically says. And, um, all that information is withheld from parents. That's wrong. You, you do understand. I hope parents, you have to get, school has to get a permission from you to give your kid a Tylenol. Yeah. That's incredible. But when it comes to these very, very sensitive subjects, um, that can be, of phenomenal importance as these children grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need, the schools are saying, oh, no, 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 we don't want your input. Yeah. But school, but teach, but parents need to press. They need to go to school board meetings. They need to stay engaged with the school, t- um, teachers, then go to the principals in the buildings and then move up the chain. By the way, I think every, everybody that's got a child in a, in a, a public school ought to know well at least one of their school board members. Mm-hmm. You need to have somebody on that school board that you can call and you need to know the building principal and you need to know your teacher. And so you understand the chain of command and how you can engage yeah. and don't, don't take no for an answer. Yeah. You are the parent. So, so, so Mary, real quickly, schools hide behind this thing called local in local parentis, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it means in the, in the sense of an emergency that the school has some measure of authority to act in the best interest of a child as a parent would. That's yeah. in the place of parents is what that Latin phrase wow. means. But the schools have taken it to a whole new level. They are not the parents. They do not have unrestricted authority or access to and, and determination about what a child did, uh, does, says, is at, at, at the public school. Wow. Those kids don't drop their constitutional rights, nor do parents when they walk in the school door. Right. But I'm going to make a case right now. I'm telling you. Um, we have ticked up a little bit in our private schools here in Wisconsin, in part because we have a very uh, robust voucher program. We have the Milwaukee one, the Racine one, and now a statewide one. And most of the other states are beginning to understand, hey, let the money from the taxpayers truly follow the child. And if we put it into a voucher program or we do it a educational savings account or something like that, whatever the mechanism is, we are beginning to see more and more parents say, hey, I am not putting up with what's going yeah. on. I'm not taking the risk. Right. I'm right. going to put my child in a school of my choice. Well, and, and I didn't know this. Uh, I understand that any textbooks bought with state funding have to cover the roles and contributions of LGBT people. And now we have LGBT History Month every October in the schools. What is LGBT history? I don't understand that. Well, unfortunately, they're touting it. You know, um, they go back to Harvey Milk and they go back oh, to the yeah. uh, to the Stonewall um, I- event there in New York and uh, all these, these things that they point to as landmarks for uh, moving that agenda forward. Uh, th- this is tragic. This is it's not it's not acceptable. Um, and our look, uh, if, if we. It, uh, Schools, schools are supposed to be viewpoint neutral on so many right. things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and this is not. This is a political agenda. This is a, a part of our culture war. Um, this is, there's no neutrality at all in this. Because if we went in there and said, hey, well, if you can do that, let's do a Christian history month. Right. You know, let's talk about the influence of Christianity in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. right. You know, uh, oh, no, 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 we can't establish a religion. Don't you understand the First Amendment? No right. establishment. Um, uh, we, we, the, these schools are doing, 
And by the way, I, don't, I try not to call them public schools. I call them government schools. Yes. That's what they are. They are. They are a ready-made mechanism for big government to, to indoctrinate, um, to subdue, to inculcate, and to kind of raise up the next generation of people who will be voters and leaders yeah. and the academic elite in our secular universities um, and so that they are all walking, talking, thinking, and acting in a way that comports with what government yep. wants Little them automatons. to do. Little uh, We right. just have a couple minutes left, Julie, and it's gone so fast. But there is something called release time uh, oh, laws yeah. in Wisconsin. Can you just tell us in the couple minutes we have left, what is release time? It, it's a law that allows students to go off campus for, for up, I think in Wisconsin, it's 60 to 180 minutes a week um, to an organized religious program. Um, our church used to do one here. We had a, 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 our youth pastor used to do one here in Watertown. I don't, there's only a few states that have it, mm. but it's a wonderful opportunity and churches need to think, go to your school and, and find a youth group or find a parent or we'll sponsor one. And, and the kids can leave campus for that amount of time and go and have that Bible study off site. It's a wonderful opportunity to shore up our Christian kids that are in our public schools and to even find those kids that um, are hungry for the gospel or for something that they are looking for and invite them to go to these two. And, oh. and it's completely and totally legal. But I'm going to tell you this quickly, Mary. Public schools are not going to promote it. No. The law is there, but they will only do that if the outside entities force them to do that okay. and by that i mean present them with a program to say hey we got this bible study and these, we want all these kids to have the opportunity to go to it. yeah 160 to 180 minutes per week that's that's quite a bit actually and i know it says that they they cannot take place on school premises uh, right. which of course figures um student participation and release time must be voluntary of course no coercion of any kind I, I never heard of that. How long has that been on the books? Oh, it's been there for a long, 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 oh, long it time. It okay. just doesn't get talked about. And we're going to start talking about it more because I think it's um, most like if you don't know about it, Mary, I know there's tons <laughs> of, you're, you're really well versed in all this stuff. So um, we're going to start talking about it and working with local communities to say, hey, put one together. Put a Bible study. Use your youth pastor. Use somebody who's passionate about the next generation and host something that, you know, isn't far from the school. Um, you know, uh, depending on you know a house or a, a, a rec room or something like that, yeah. and and host something that is fun and vibrant and, and and instructive for these young people, and and maybe it's only sixty minutes a week. Because sure. think about that, they could be released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, sixty minutes each day. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's incredible! It is an incredible opportunity, and I wish more people knew about it. Um, and you do. We're going to work on that. <laughs> when my daughter was in junior high, they didn't give homework on Wednesday nights because churches had midweek mm. Bible studies. And I mean that a lot of schools never did that or didn't know about it. I was surprised, and this would have been in the 90s at some point. Maybe it has something to do with that. But I just think that's a fantastic thing that, like you said, maybe join together with a youth group or a pastor who would be willing to do something like that. Uh, wow, Jelaine, it's, it's over already, an hour, and I know we'll be doing this again. Um, because there's always something to talk about, isn't there? It's just been fantastic. So thank you so much for your contribution today. Uh, Wisconsin Family Council, uh, Jelaine Appling. Um, wow, we need to be informed, and you do that so well. So thank you so much. Tomorrow I have Paul Scharf of Friends of Israel. He's going to be in our studio guest. We're going to talk about many things about Israel. Uh, Tuesday, John Haller, Trish Burton on Thursday. She has a great testimony. came out of Mormonism, and you don't want to miss that. 
Uh, so much going on. So thank you for joining me. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. <laughs>